ask you to keep in prayer uh, Colin as he continues to be in jail and uh, keep uh, praying for him. If you uh, are inclined to write him, feel free to write him, but also make sure that we care for those who are his victims and have been harmed by him. And uh, this morning I encourage you um, to be faithful in these matters, knowing that God is pleased to heal all of us uh, through the blood of Christ, but also through the love and the compassion of the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you see people that have needs, love them, care for them. Let's turn to the book of Galatians again. This week we will again read verses 11 to 18. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11, reading through verse 18. See, with, with large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Now this week, we're going to turn from the study of verse 15 to 16, and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, what is this rule? If the people that receive the peace and mercy of God are those who walk by this rule, what is the rule? Well, you've been around long enough to know that the book of Galatians is a battle for the souls of the believers in the Galatian church and that the battle centered on whether or not a man needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. Or to put it another way, it's a conflict over whether or not Gentiles needed to become Jews to be saved. Now, how did a man become a Jew? Well, you could be born into it, or you could be a proselyte. And a proselyte was someone who uh, came to believe that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was the only true God. And eventually a proselyte could become a Jew. And the way that the proselyte did this, the man, was by being circumcised. And so this was the final step for becoming a Jew. And so think similarly about the New Covenant, the New Testament, the time of Christ and his people. You want to follow Jesus Christ. Good. You believe in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, good. You've been baptized, good. Only one thing remains, you must be circumcised. Then you will have done everything you need to do to become a Christian and to be saved. And this was how the Judaizers or the circumcision party argued. But the Apostle Paul stood against them. He called this another gospel, which was no gospel at all, and he said those who believed in this gospel were accursed that there was no hope for them in this life or the next. He said in verse 15, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Circumcision isn't anything. Uncircumcision isn't anything. What matters eternally is a new creation. Now, why is it that circumcision doesn't matter anymore? 
Well, because for the Galatian believers to believe that circumcision was necessary to be saved and to have themselves circumcised would have been for the Galatian believers to put their faith in the law and their own keeping of the law rather than putting their faith in Jesus Christ and His keeping of the law even to death, the death on a cross. As the Apostle Paul said over and over again, it's either me and my works or it's Christ. It can't be both. Either I trust in Jesus or I trust in myself. I can't trust in both. It can't be some of Him and some of me. It can't be most of Him and a little bit of me. It's an all or nothing proposition. Either I place my faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and I cling to Him or I place my faith in myself and I cling to myself. And it doesn't matter whether that faith in myself is my pious practice of deep ecology, of environmental stewardship, of walking gently on Mother Earth. It doesn't matter whether my faith in myself is the works of attending Mass daily and doing the acts of contrition prescribed by the priest and making a pilgrimage to the Vatican or to Medjugorje or to Fatima. It doesn't matter whether I fast during Ramadan and I give alms to the poor and I pray towards Mecca five times a day and make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And we could go on and we could go on with our list of how souls to this very day trust in circumcision. We may work hard to be a good liberal who doesn't add any greenhouse gases and who drives a hybrid. We may work hard to be a good Roman Catholic who faithfully attends Mass each day, being careful to approach the host, having cleansed himself or herself of both mortal and venial sin. We may work hard to be a good Muslim doing everything the mighty Allah requires of his subjects. And none of it matters. Man's failure is so awful and so systemic, and so deep, and so pervasive, and so rooted in creation, it is so utterly hopeless that only God can bust us loose. There's no one else that can. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ alone. And any lessening of our predicament by redefining sin, and man, we're masters at that today. I read this last week an article sent to me by a brother in Christ with whom I shared many years of ministry in the Presbyterian Church USA. And it is one of the most evil things I've ever read in my life. And it's an argument that is circulating within the PCUSA justifying those who have gotten good positions at rich churches and have an absolutely safe career ahead of them, pastors, at nice churches that already have the buildings paid for and therefore all the money can go to the salary. And, and listen, I know exactly what I'm saying. All right? It's unbelievable how these men are now accusing people like Jake Gresham Machen of having been a Donatist. And they're accusing those who would leave this denomination, which is now endorsing homosexuality, and those who would leave it, they're accusing of being heretics, of, of committing again the Donatist heresy. And you say, well, I don't know what the Donatist heresy is. And, and I just say the Donatist heresy is that once you 
uh, betray Christ. There's no return. And anybody who receives the ministry of the Word and the sacraments from you receives an invalid ministry because you betrayed Christ and, and you can't come back. Or you can only come back individually, but you can't be a leader of the church anymore. There was a great controversy in the early church. And so they say that those who now say that the Presbyterian Church USA is apostate, all right, that these people are modern-day Donatists. And they go on and they say, for instance, let's take homosexuality. Now, mind you, this is a paper circulating among evangelicals. Not a paper that's circulating just among liberals. Evangelicals are reading this. was sent to me by a graduate, I believe, of Gordon-Conwell, whose father is a pastor, was one of the most godly pastors I've ever known. And so he sends me this paper, and the paper says, now I'm not saying necessarily that he believes it, but the very fact that he thinks it's worthwhile circulating tells you something. All right. So this paper then goes on and talks about how it's a perversion of the gospel to take homosexuality and to set it up as a confessional issue. In other words, if, if somebody says that whether or not you give yourself to same-sex intimacy, if somebody says that you defending it and embracing it and giving yourself to it and demanding that the church accept you as a member and as a pastor despite your living continuously in same-sex intimacy sin. That, that if you say that this is wrong and that we cannot fellowship with Christians who say this, who do this, that you are a heretic. And here's the reason. If you say this is wrong and you won't have fellowship with those that endorse homosexual sin, sodomy, what you're really doing is you're setting up some competitor with Jesus Christ. That sexual purity becomes a work that becomes more important than claiming the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, man. That's seductive, isn't it? Because after all, none of us believe in works. Isn't that what this book is all about. It's Jesus Christ alone and faith in Him. It's not works, whether the works are repenting of not loving my wife the way I should or not having heterosexual sex or not having heterosexual sex in marriage or going to church or, you know, uh, having the proper relationship between men and women in marriage. You know, you go on and on and on, whether you homeschool your children, whether or not you go to movies, whether you go to R-rated movies. I mean, it's just all a big sort of you know, melange is like just tons of like crud that's all together and it's only Jesus that saves us. And so I'm done with circumcision and I'm done with heterosexual and homosexual distinctions and, and I'm done with manhood and womanhood and I'm done with distinctions between a white lie and a gray lie and a bad lie and, you know, all that. You know, Jesus paid it all. And if you come on and start getting intense about homosexuality, that's just because you're a prude. That's just because you weren't born homosexual. That's just because you still have a little bit of the gay basher in you. That's because you're a latent homosexual yourself. That's because you're really homophobic. It's because you're, you're so, so Republican. And it's all about Washington, D.C. and power and whether I will have the tax write-offs and you won't. Man's failure is so awful and so deep and so systemic and so pervasive and so rooted in the fall 
In short, we are so utterly hopeless that only God can bust us loose. No one else. And any lessening of our predicament by redefining sin. Don't you understand? Take your pet sin, whatever it is. Let's say it's greed. And you say, well, you know, to be an American and to be greedy are the same thing. And so really, God can't expect me to not be an American. Well, you know, there are certain perquisites that go, that go with having certain skills, like being an attorney. I'm choosing one that's not any of you, uh, because you'll yell at me if I choose one that is you. So let's say, I, I don't think there are any attorneys here this morning. I don't think we even have anybody in law school here anymore, do we? Is there anybody here in law school? Well, let's, let's beat up on attorneys. Okay, you know, you're an attorney and and attorneys have certain things that go with their life. You know, they 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 earn a certain level of income. They have a certain level of education, tend to marry a certain kind of man or woman. You know, it's 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 just the privileges of being an attorney. And so you don't need to really worry about greed because my gift is argument. My gift is logic. I, I should be an attorney. And there are just certain, you know, certain perquisites that go with being an attorney. You know, God has given me a wonderful gift with the double base. Again, Andy's gone. Let's beat up on Andy. And I'm so good that I'm going to get hired by the uh, uh, the Lyric Opera and Grant Park at the same time. You know, and and you know, God gave me the gift, and and I'll glorify Him with the gift, and and I'll live off the fat of the land. You know, and so to be a double bassist, it has a tremendous gift. And it's not greed, it's just there's certain perquisites that go with the gift of the double base that I was given. You know, God can't fault me for having the father and mother I have. Lots of money, you know. And, and there's just certain perquisites that go with being a bailey or a tailor. You know, God made me beautiful. There are just certain perquisites that go with being beautiful. I'm strong. There's certain perquisites that go with it. And, and greed... You know, or, or, you know, I have a job that's, that's, that's largely bound up with having to talk about other people behind their backs. I mean, you know, that's the nature of the, of the pool of, uh, of people that I work with. I mean, it's endemic to the group that of people that I work with, and, and I can't really escape it. Um, you know, God has given me a gift working with drugs all the time, and if I end up being an impaired physician... Uh, after all, everybody doesn't have to deal with that temptation all the time, and I have bad back spasms, and, and after all, I'm a preacher, and there's a certain dignity that goes with being a preacher. And, you know, pride, you know, there should be a certain pride of position. Otherwise, how will people respect me? You know, and uh, God made me a homosexual. I have desires for other men, not for women, other women, not for men, and, 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 you know, other people have a different gift, a different uh, diversity, creational diversity, uh, different affect. I, I like feminine things, you know. Um, and so we take greed, we take gossip, we take sexual immorality, we, we redefine sin, and, and we redefine the law of God, and we redefine God's standard. And what do you do if you do all these things? Well, then you have to come up with some way of healing yourself because we still have inside of ourselves knowledge that there is no hope for me. 
Everybody knows that. I know you know that. You can't deny it. I know you know, sitting there, that you know there's no hope for you. I don't care where you were raised. I don't care what religion you were raised in. I know that God has put the witness of His holiness and of your wickedness and of Adam's original sin and guilt in your heart. I know that. And so you have to find a way of mediating the tension between you know, all the sin that you've redefined in such a way that you feel good about yourself, but the fact that still you know there is no hope for you. And this is how we live. You can take as many drugs as you want. You can eat as much as you want. You can smoke dope. You can do coke. You can be a crystal meth user. You can have a husband who's rich and, and spend all his money on his credit cards every day. You can have a wife who's a trophy. And you can parade her around at the club. You know, you can, you can be a stingy Scrooge. And you can sit home counting your money. You can do anything you want to. And you are without hope in this world. What you are is with a bunch of hobbies and a bunch of things that you're addicted to that cause you to take your mind off the condition of your heart before a holy God. And that's the condition of everyone. It can be football. It can be drugs. It can be religion. That is what circumcision is in the book of Galatians. It's what being a descendant of Abraham was to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews. It is what baptism is to a Lutheran and a Presbyterian. It is what Rome and the Mass is to a Roman Catholic. And it is what prayers to receive Jesus, the sinner's prayer, is to evangelicals. All of it is our attempt to escape the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and a new creation. It's one massive conspiracy to be proud in who we are, to have hard hearts, to give ourselves to our pet sins, and to still think that we'll be able to stand before a holy God on the judgment seat on that great day and be accepted. And you know that last week, what we saw was baptism doesn't save. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. Just put in there whatever placeholder you want. Neither the Mass nor not the Mass. Neither baptism nor unbaptism. You know, neither uh, prayers towards Mecca or unprayers towards Mecca. Neither, you know, the touch of the bishop when you're confirmed or not the touch of the bishop when you're confirmed. But what? A new creation. And then the next verse, verse 16 says what? Those what? Read it. It's up there. Those who... Those who will walk by this rule. And there we go again. We're so resistant to God. We say, what rule? Ain't no rule for me. It's Jesus Christ alone. Well, is that not a rule? Is it not a rule that we hate 
when we're forced to cling to Christ instead of our own redefinition of sin and our own notion of what would make us good enough for God. Don't we really hate anything that humbles us? Don't we really hate being dependent on Jesus Christ? You say, oh no, it's Christ alone. And I say, then why is it that you're trying so hard to not be dependent on Him for your money? You're very happy to be dependent on Him for salvation, but when it comes to your car and your money and your clothes, you're constantly giving yourself to worry. How can you tell me that you cling to Christ alone for salvation, but that you've got to use your money to make sure you're secure? Why? Our hearts hate being dependent. Look at this. We hate it. We hate lifting our hands. It's, it's so vulnerable. It's so like self-abnegating. It's so, you know, kind of pathetically childish. But this... <laughs> Excuse my stomach. I mean, look at this. Look at this. You know, you don't believe in body posture? And that's exactly how we come to God. We come to Him with our baptism. We come to Him with circumcision. We come to Him with prayers to receive Jesus. We come to Him with Church of the Good Shepherd. I'm not one of those halfway churches. We come to Him with, well, it's been three weeks since I've smoked. We come to Him with, I had devotions every day this week. We come to Him with our acts of contrition. We come to Him with, you know, having made the honor roll. very interesting in preparing to preach on this text all through the book of Galatians I've read uh, sermons of John Calvin on the text and I've read the commentary of Martin Luther because I believe that if you have any hope at all of escaping the sins of your day you have to have a place to stand outside of your day right can you buy that you have to have some perspective in order to properly reject the sins of your day And the primary perspective is the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Every time you open the Bible and read it, it gives you perspective on who you are and where you live. And that's why you either love the Word or hate the Word. But you can't even read the Word and see it for what it says, sometimes unless the Holy Spirit busts you loose by giving you the perspective of other Christians on that Word. In other words, we're so much the product of our culture and our time it's impossible for us to read the Word properly because we've had so many lies told us about the Word. This is why I say again and again and again, if I'm going to preach, give me pagans. Give me honest pagans. Give me mainliners. Don't, please don't give me an evangelical. Because mainliners never claim to have a high view of Scripture. And so if you convince them that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, mainliners, like, their whole life changes. They say, oh, I get it. I was wrong. I now turn and I embrace the Word of God. And then they begin asking questions that show that they have a childlike faith. But an evangelical has been completely inoculated to the Word of God, every single part of the Word except John 3.16. And it's hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. And so we come back to the Word of God. How are you going to read the Word so that you see the power of the Word? Well, 
The Word will allow you to see yourself, to see your culture, but sometimes you need to read somebody who's dead, somebody from Africa, in order to even understand the Word. Sometimes you need a preacher. You know, it's pretty humbling to have to listen to me. But that's how God set it up. And so I read people that have been dead for a long time. And people that live in a completely different culture. Because I think maybe they'll see things I don't see and they won't have been lied to so much that, that, that they'll be massaging me and telling me I'm okay. So I read Martin Luther and John Calvin. And guess what Martin Luther and John Calvin do on this text? Same thing they've done on every single text of the book of Galatians. Can you guess what it is? There was a battle at their time, right? And the battle was what? The battle was for a restoration of the centrality of faith alone for the life of a Christian for salvation. And the competitor was Rome. You know, the coin in the box, the soul springs free. Alright? So they're constantly talking about Rome. This particular text, I forget which one, Calvin or Luther says, the absurdity of the Dominicans in saying that their rule, so you take a monastic order called the Dominicans, saying their rule is the rule which is pointed to here when it says those who will walk by this rule. And you look at it and say, no, 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 the Dominicans couldn't have said that. I say, you know something? Martin Luther and John Calvin were very specific. They had very specific enemies of the Gospel. They named them. Very specific acts. They talked about the clothing they wore, the robes they wore, their holy water. They talked about all the rules that surrounded the sacrament. Now, right now, many of you are uptight. I was able to do this in the first church because everybody at the first church service was okay. They, they were us, you know. But here there are some of you that aren't us. And so some of you are uptight. You're thinking, are there Roman Catholics here? Now, let me ask you a question. When Martin Luther and John Calvin were writing and preaching, do you think there were Roman Catholics there? So what was wrong with them? They saw application everywhere. And they spoke about it. Why? They actually believed that souls were at stake. They believed that if a man thought that if he followed the rules of the Vatican, the rules of the Pope, that if he gave himself to daily attendance at the Mass, to going through all the rites of contrition, and then was super religious and went into a monastery or a convent, that he would do the works that please God and that he would be safe eternally. They thought that that was the modern-day counterpart to the circumcision of the Judaizers. And so they never ever applied the truth of God concerning the Judaizers to the people they were preaching to without specifically naming Rome, without specifically detailing the various competitors today for what was circumcision back in the early church. Now, are you willing for me to say that this morning? You say, well, you know, the Reformers were not quite godly. The Reformers were imbalanced. Man, it was a different age. It was a bloody age. Life was short. You had to get on with it. But today, God works with us more gently. And you should too, Pastor. You know, you know. Come on, Tim, be tame. You know, it's one thing to have heroes who are dead, but remember, they're dead. You know, you're not going to be a hero today doing that kind of thing. You know, you're not going to be able to have 
attends Presbyterian Church. <laughs> I mean, it's a private joke, sort of. Okay, so if you're willing to accept that Martin Luther and John Calvin were used by God and that there's a reason that we still read them, we, then what is the application to us today? And if you tell me the application today is that we should not do acts of contrition, make distinctions between moral and venial sins, make treks to Medjugorje, I say, what are you? Are you absolutely brain dead? You think that there's anybody here that's tempted to go to Rome and to have an audience with the Pope? I mean, I'd like to do it. But I don't think anybody here thinks that they'd have a better chance of going to heaven because of doing that. What's the sense of us beating up on Rome? Yeah, it's a competitor for some people. But listen, a much more insidious danger for us is this danger of having a high view of the sacraments. You know, believing that if we're baptized, that, that grace is conferred and that God is pleased to use baptism in such a way as to save us. And of course, yeah, it is true, but it's not true. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither Rome nor unRome, neither mass nor unmasked, neither acts of contrition nor neither baptism nor unbaptism. You say, oh, don't speak like that about that. The Bible commands us to be baptized. I say, does not the Bible command us to be circumcised? You say, yeah, but that's Old Covenant. But baptism has replaced it. You can't say that about baptism. I say, okay, so then why did the Apostle Paul say, you know, I didn't baptize any of you. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I guess there were a couple of you guys I baptized. Flippant. Absolutely flippant about baptism. You say, you better be careful. You're sounding like an evangelical to me. You know, we have a high view of water and of the sacrament. I say, so do I. Such a high view that I don't believe it must, it can ever, it, it should ever be allowed to displace the honor of Jesus Christ. Ever. And so what's the parallel today? Well, the parallel is many young people turning to sacramentalism and to liturgy, to formalism. Exopere operata. To, you do the thing and the thing is done to jacking around God by the ordinances and the means. To having your faith and hope resident in the physical act. Do you understand? But is that what we're really tempted by? No, most of us are really tempted by evangelicalism. And evangelicalism long ago gave up any sense of baptism in the Lord's Supper. Evangelicalism believes in what? What is the sacrament of evangelicalism? The sacrament of evangelicalism, the circumcision of evangelicalism, is without a doubt the sinner's prayer. That's what it is. Forty years ago, my dad wrote an article talking about how evangelicals have rejected baptism and have replaced it with prayers to receive Jesus. And so you talk to a normal evangelical mother and you ask her what hope she has for the salvation of her middle-aged son. And what she will tell you is that when he was in first grade, he went to vacation Bible school and his teacher told him that he prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. 
Now, what is that except a return to circumcision? A return to baptism? A return to an external act that you do that transfers you from death to life? And you say, yeah, but God commanded circumcision. God commanded baptism. God still commands baptism. And and God says a man must be born again. And that little boy is asking Jesus into his heart. And this pleases God. He's confessing he's a sinner. And he's asking Jesus into his heart. This pleases God. And I say, absolutely it pleases God for us to confess that we are sinners. And for us to say to God, I now receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a mother whose son has gone off to California, has given himself to drugs and to sexual immorality and to materialism for the last 25, 30 years. And she is still clinging to his prayer to receive Jesus. And that's her hope for his soul. I say, how does that differ from baptism? How does it differ from Rome? How does it differ from the Judaizer's circumcision? What is the rule that we are to walk by? The rule that we're to walk by is the rule of clinging to the Holy Spirit and to His work in our hearts and the hearts of our loved ones. It is not circumcision, it is not baptism, and it is not prayers to receive Jesus. It is dependence upon the power of God. And you can't jack God around any more by a prayer to receive Jesus than you can jack Him around by circumcision or baptism. God is resistant to the proud. And that's what this is all about. The real competitor for your soul is your pride. That's it. Colin may well escape, as many over history have escaped, the bondage to sexual sin. And you know how he'll escape it? He'll escape it by humiliation. By the discipline of God. But boy, I'm telling you, if you don't want humiliation, find a church where the liturgy is formal and where the sacraments are high and where the vestments are brilliant and where the prayers to receive Jesus just, just sort of fly through the air. You know, find a church where the preacher will make sure you never ever have to examine yourself where He'll preach to you as if you're Christians. And He'll never call it into question. Wasn't that what got Jonathan Edward in trouble? Refer to such churches where a, a, a fire of Holy Spirit dependence is cultivated in the church. Refer to them as pietistic and moralistic. Now, moralistic, how does that come in? Well, do you notice it says those who will walk by this rule What is the rule? The rule is no circumcision, no baptism. The rule is no prayers to receive Jesus. Give us salvation. But rather by faith alone. And that the faith is a gift of God, right? This is the rule, right? Well, actually, 
it says, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. And so again, the rule is, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision, it's not baptism or unbaptism, and it's not prayers to receive Jesus or no prayers to receive Jesus, right? But then what does it say? What does it say? Is that all the rule? No, it's not all the rule. Those who will walk by this rule, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, what? But a new creation. And again, boy, evangelicals have been inoculated against that truth. Now, there you go, talking about the law, Tim. There you go, holding rules up. I say, hey, wait, wait, wait. It says those who will walk by this rule. So don't tell me no rules. Obviously, there are rules, right? What are the rules? The rules are neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither baptism nor unbaptism, neither prayers to receive Jesus nor unprayers to receive Jesus, but a new creation. And you say, yeah, faith. The Holy Spirit gives us new birth. And I say, what is a new creation? You say, the new birth. You're born again. I say, yeah. And, and how do you tell if you're born again? Now, there you go, Tim. There you go. You're back to the law. You're back to rules. We're saved by grace. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. Huh. Well, it says a new creation. A new creation doesn't seem to be simply a point at time where God transfers you by regeneration from death to life, does it? It must be that there is something about you that shows that the Holy Spirit has been at work. And you say, you know something? That's legalism. I've been taught well. I know, I, I know what I'm smelling. You're about to, sh to shoot circumcision in on us again. You know, you're about to... You know, I, I'm just not entirely comfortable with this. People just need to be encouraged. There are Christians struggling in that church and, and they have a hard time of it and they just need to be encouraged. I say, hey, guess what? If you have fled from sexual immorality and if you have fled from a proud rejection of your husband's authority simply by virtue of his sex... Isn't that stupid? Yes, it is. And it's God's plan. If you have fled greed and envy, if you have fled incest, if you have fled gossip, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if you tell me that you're a Christian because you were circumcised, and I defy you to say that to me in the face of Galatians. You tell me you're a Christian because you've been baptized. I defy you to show me that in the face of Galatians. You'll say, oh, wait, wait, wait. The Bible talks about the baptism of water and the Spirit. I say, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be baptized. I defy you to point to your baptism as the proof. You say, yeah, but it's part of the proof. And I say, it's only as good as the work of the Holy Spirit. You say, yeah, but it's all of the Holy Spirit. And He tells me to be baptized. I say, yes. He says, those who will walk by this rule. And the rule is neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And if you do not live a life pleasing to God, you are not a new creation. I don't care how many prayers to receive Jesus you've done. I don't care what your talk about your love for Jesus is. If you're a proud man, if you're resistant to being rebuked by the elders of this church, by your wife and by your husband, you say, oh, wait, wait, a wife shouldn't rebuke a husband. I say, oh, come on. How could she be a helpmate without rebuking her husband? If you're proud and if you're trusting in external actions, and I don't care what they are, if you're trusting in anything except the work of the Holy Spirit, giving you faith and making you cling to Jesus, 
such that day after day after day, you see you are a new creation. You are without hope in this world. It says, those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. You know what this is? This is a negative statement. Anybody reading that knows that it is saying, those who will not walk by this rule, peace and mercy are barred. You live under the wrath of God. You are without hope. The church has constantly had souls in it who are constantly giving themselves to every wickedness and talk about how they love Jesus. And if I tell you that it's alright, just as long as you know what the right is, that's all we ask of you, just that you have a little bit of inclination, is that a new creation? If you belong to Jesus Christ, you will be a new creation. Old things will have passed away. Behold, all things will be new. Brothers and sisters, I hate to tell you this, but if I brought the elders up here right now and had them face you, and I just asked the elders, point out the new creations to me. You know what? The elders could do it. What do you think elders do? Do you think they're different than the Apostle Paul or Martin Luther or John Calvin? Yeah, we're very different because we're complete idiots. But what do you think it's, we're called to do? What does a dairy farmer do? A dairy farmer feels for mastitis. Why? Because then the milk won't come and he won't get paid and it'll be, uh, it'll be an eater that, that's not a feeder. <laughs> okay? That's what shepherds do. Shepherds look at the sheep and they judge which one is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And then they go to that one and they try to out him. Why? Because they care about his soul and because they care about the other souls in the church, but mostly because they care about the honor of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that is worse than to have a church that claims the name of Jesus Christ and is filled with old creations who have not become new and who do not trust in Jesus Christ. Can you understand how it would be easy for me as a pastor to believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are what really does the work? And all I do is you come up and I say, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, bless you, brother, bless you. Hey, isn't it time for First Communion for you, Taylor? You know? Okay, Taylor had his first communion. We buy him a nice suit, maybe his first blue blazer. He comes to church. He's, he has his first communion. You know, Elliot Huck, you know. And, and bless your brother, bless your sister, first communion, bring the bishop up. You know, and oh, no, we don't do that. We're evangelical. Okay, so in other words, you don't baptize your kids until they're 13. And then it's first communion, first baptism, same time. You know, bless your brother, bless your sister. Johnny prayed to receive Jesus. And where's the heart? Where's the dependence on the Holy Spirit? Where is it? Where is it, brothers and sisters? If any man is in Christ, and we're in Christ by faith, 
And faith is a gift. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, am I saying that if you're in Christ, you won't struggle with homosexual sin? No! (laughs) That you won't still find yourself gossiping? No! That you will no longer have any greed? No! That you all of a sudden honor your father? No! That you all of a sudden live sacrificially for your wife and love her? No! I am not saying that Christians do not have besetting sins. And you say, well then, where's the line? And I say, there you go again. And it's always that way. What you want to know is how close you can be to being an old creation and still be a new creation. And I say, it's hopeless. You're going to have to live dependent on God. You think if we told Colin what was going to happen to him the next day that... that He would have gone on living? No. But do you believe that God was merciful to Colin? Yes. How about the Apostle Paul? You think it's really productive to have it recorded that he was holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death and giving full approval? I mean, is this a detail that has to be included in Scripture? How can he have authority and dignity as he writes the epistles when they have that in Acts? I mean, it's just so gnarly. <laughs> you know, what I really want is for all of you to understand that I have, I have the dignity to be a preacher. That's what you must understand. And I had no premarital sex. I mean, never, not me. And I have never stolen, and I have never cursed, and I've never lusted, and I've never gossiped, and I'm not greedy. And as long as you understand that, then I can preach to you. And so what happens? Well, the church becomes a bunch of people that don't know each other, because to know each other is to begin to have a premonition that maybe it's something about God. And that's deeply unsettling to proud people. And so churches become completely anonymous and we all sit around and say hi and goodbye and I say, bless you, sister. Bless you, brother. And isn't it time for your first... If you prayed the sinner's prayer, let me... God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and and it's all just Kierkegaard's big money-making machine. And there's big money in it, a billion dollars just in the Left Behind series and their ancillary products. This church will submit to this rule. And this rule is that we will not trust in externals, but we will wait on the Lord. And that when He gives us faith, then we will be examined by the elders and they will test whether our confession of faith is sincere. And if we tell them, well, I was already baptized, or I've already been taking communion, they will test it. And you know how they'll test it? They'll look to see if you're a new creation. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And will he have a standard that's scrupulous so that only the people that have grown up in Wheaton or Grand Rapids or Italy or Saudi Arabia will get in? No. The standard will be the ongoing work of God. And what probably will prove to them more than anything 
that you have been born again is the fact that your sins are being exposed and as they're exposed, you are repenting. You say, oh, no, no, no. It has to be that they're good. And I say, you know what goodness is? Goodness is humility in the midst of repentance. (laughs) And I can tell it just looking at you as I preach. You say, oh, come on. You cannot. I say, okay, no, you're right, I can't. But the elders can. And you say, yeah, but they're not up there looking at me. And I say, whew. All right. I'm going to read one scripture in closing. But it's a long one. You would know that, right? When Jesus came, Jesus came to people just like us. They had their heritage. They had their genealogy. They had their Wheatons and their Navigators and InterVarsity and their Medjugorjes. They had their holy places. They had their temple. They had all the apparatus. And they were trusting in the apparatus and they were filled with every kind of wickedness. And so one day Jesus healed a man born blind. You remember the story? And He healed this dude and these religious people were filled with fury. They hated it. Why? Well, because there was a changing of the guard. Jesus was steadily accruing greater authority and power among the people of God. And theirs was decreasing. And not only that, he was jeopardizing their position with the Roman Empire. They'd worked out a comfy chair, you know, where they could sit in it and Rome could sit in it and they could get along with each other. And of course, they were above their people and Rome understood that. And then along comes this dude. He's holy. He has no place to lay his head. It's not about money with him. And he does things like heal people on Sunday even, on the Sabbath. And they hate him. And so a conflict develops. Pretty soon it's clear this man was blind from birth. He has been healed. So we're talking about major power here. And, and they go around, they're gnashing their teeth. And so the conflict develops. And pretty soon this is what goes down between Jesus and the religious leaders of his time. Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, what? Now notice, Jesus does not say, if you have faith alone in my work. What he says is, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. It's not that continuing in his word makes them disciples. It's that it proves they're disciples. That's not such a hard distinction for you to have. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they answered him what? But we prayed to receive Jesus. But... but. We're circumcised. But we've been baptized. We've been baptized as babies. They say we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So what's he saying? He's saying, your life of sin proves you aren't a son. It doesn't matter what your genealogy traces back to. If you are living a life of sin, then your father is an Abraham. He goes on. He says the slave does not remain in the house forever. He says, yeah, you have all the accoutrements right now of being a son of Abraham, his descendants, of being free. But you know something? You're really a usurper. You're really a wolf in sheep's clothing. And you know, the only one that permanently will be in the house is the son. The slave's going to get kicked out eventually. And then he says, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If God, the Holy Spirit, gives you the gift of faith and new birth, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, and yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. He just said they're sons of Abraham, right? He says you're doing the things of your father. What father is Jesus speaking of? They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. We've been circumcised. We've been baptized. We've prayed prayers to receive Jesus. We belong to Church of the Good Shepherd. We homeschool our children. We have devotions every morning. Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. And they said, we have, we're circumcised. We have, we, sh- we, we have sacrifices at the temple. We go to the Vatican. We've been baptized. You know, we've prayed to receive, we've done the works of Abraham. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And this issue of fatherhood comes up again and again. What father is Jesus saying they're doing the deeds of? And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one. What are they saying about Jesus? You're an illegitimate child. You're a bastard. Your mother had you before she was married. We are not the sons of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on My own initiative, but He has sent Me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear My Word. You are of your Father, and now it comes out. You are of your Father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your Father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Direct lineage from Abraham of the tribe of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day, the religious leaders of the people of God. Father, their father was God. And Jesus said, no, your father is the devil. They had every religious improvement that they could have. 
their liturgy and their sacraments were perfect. And their father was the devil. Thank you, Elliot. So now look at the end of verse 16. Those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon what? The Israel of Abraham, the Israel of circumcision, the Israel of baptism, the Israel of sinners' prayers, the Israel of belonging to the church of the Good Shepherd. No, the Israel of God. The Israel of God. Are you the Israel of God? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Donald Gray Barnhouse was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian some years back. And Donald Gray Barnhouse used to do the thing, something at the end of every service that I don't think anybody does today. He would give a qualified benediction at the end of the services. He'd raise his hand and he'd say, Now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father and the love, the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, may it be upon all of you. And those of you who do not belong to Jesus Christ, who are not a part of the Israel of God, may God's curse be upon you and may you have no peace and may your life day by day be. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul's doing here. He has qualified his benediction. And those of you who do not belong to Jesus Christ, you have no peace and you have no mercy. And how do you know? Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's how you know. Let's pray.